If you would, take your Bibles and turn uh, to the book of 1 Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5 this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 5. My name is Ray Brandon, the pastor for preaching. I uh, want, want to welcome you this morning to, to Sunday morning. Those of you that are online as well, welcome into the room. Um, we are continuing our series in, in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5. We have, um, uh, we're, we're gonna, we have several more weeks before we cover chapters 5 and chapter 6, but in two weeks we have uh, Pastor Glenn Blossom that'll be here. Um, the discipline of godliness comes up in this particular uh, chapter again. Part of that discipline of godliness is learning the discipline of rest. And so he'll be talking about that um, on the 14th. And then the Sunday following Easter Sunday, so the second Sunday in April through the first Sunday in May, we have a special speaker for four weeks in a row um, that is going to look specifically at God and government and the, the four spheres of government um, that the Bible institutes. In fact, um, that I have to, to be careful of the, the text this morning addresses part of that. So in some way, you'll get a little bit of a preview in the sense that we, we won't be able to explore everything um, about the, the, the government of family um, as it comes up in this text uh, and family and welfare. Um, but on those Sundays, we'll have an opportunity to look at those particular governments that the, that the gospel um, that the, the Bible addresses. So those are the, a Sunday and a series that you're going to want to mark in your calendars. Um, certainly invite others to as we continue, um, and any Sundays we uh, continue to work through the scriptures. Follow in your Bible along with me as I read the first eight verses there in 1 Timothy chapter 5, which is our teaching text for this morning. 1 Timothy 5, beginning in verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, let a, let, or left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, open our eyes this morning uh, to this text um, as we get um, down into the, the practicalities of the gospel and how the gospel works out in our home and in our church um, so that um, we uh, produce love. Uh, we produce love that comes from uh, the word of God, the truth, the reality um, of God's word, um, so that we see ourselves in the world around us the way that we need to see ourselves, so that we are not self-deceived or deceived by anything or anyone else, so that we see clearly um, who you are and how we can live, how we ought to live in the world. 
Um, and, and may we see as well, may we see the great grace that flows through this, um, that it is not something that we do in and of ourselves. Um, we are not called to pull ourselves up um, by our own means, our own strength, for we recognize the strength that we have. It alone comes from you. And so in all things, and especially in our salvation, we want to give you honor and glory because that is the only place it is due. And we thank you for your great grace in lifting us up, setting us on a path, giving us your word that instructs us and that guides us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see in the text here that Paul says in verse 3 that we are to honor widows that are truly widows. So let's talk about this for a moment. we got just three points. Um, they, they essentially go honor, honor, honor. Um, uh, so we're going to talk about honor first and then honoring widows and then briefly honoring family welfare. So um, we're going to talk about honor. So as you see these three points, we're going to talk about honor um, as it flows from this text in general from the Bible. So we're going to give you kind of a broad view of honor from the Bible related to this text. That's important, and we do see that in the text. We have to understand what honor is in a biblical sense if we are going to honor widows. And we're going to talk about honoring widows as it relates directly to the text. We're going to get a little bit, very little, to, to honoring family welfare. And, um, uh, and I would say, um, add to that um, a screaming baby. Uh, no. Come on, Ken. What'd you do? <laughs> um, um, honor family welfare, and I would add this if you're putting in your notes, and build generational wealth. Okay, so that is in the text. Okay, it's an implication in the text. Um, it is, so, so it's implied in this text. It's explicit in other places in the Bible. And a lot of that I'm going to allow um, for the month of April um, to talk about, um, uh, to our speaker to just talk about those kinds of things. Um, but that is an important thing, I, I, an important thing for us to at least mention, for you to definitely have um, household uh, conversations around the dinner table, the breakfast table, um, about these kinds of things. The word honor in the text is very important. It, it, entire, it ties this section together. We go back to, to last week. If you missed that, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. Listen to that as a family. But it ties that section and this section together, right? Encourage rather than rebuke has to do with the idea of honoring that person and honoring the, the word of God. Um, it was Timothy that was to, to honor those who were who were, that he was ministering to. Look down in, in your, your Bible at verse 17. It says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And then just go over to chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. So here we see that Timothy was to show appropriate honor, and he was to see to it that honor was shown within the church, right? So this is this particular uh, command here, instruction is to Timothy, but we see that this entire section is actually um, tied together with honor. So what does it mean to honor? What does it mean? Um, to honor someone is to value them, to value them 
and show them proper respect. Every person in the Bible has value, intrinsic value, worth. And how is that worth? Um, is it, um, you know, does, it, does Mike have more worth than Rick? I don't know. Should we take a vote on that? Yes. You're going to take a vote. I don't know who's winning, but biblically, if we took a vote, we, the vote would be equal, even, We're, that every person, because they're made in the image of God, um, we have all, all people descend from the parents, Adam and Eve. We, we don't have multiple lines of humanity. So we have one race. It is the human race of which we are all joined biologically, genetically. We all come from the same source. Adam and Eve are created in the image of God. Male and female, says Genesis 1, uh, that they were created in the image of God. Therefore, the Christian view is that no matter who you are, no matter what cultural background you have, um, no matter um, what you have experienced, um, no matter what place you are in society, it doesn't matter. You have incredible value because you were created in the image of God. That's what the Bible says. Now we do know that the value is not diminished. We call this ontic value, value of being. The value is not diminished by the fact that we are ethically broken. We're sinful. Right? So it's more than just an ethically broken. The Bible describes a great fall. Um, a, an irrecoverable fall. We cannot recover. And it is that fall that all humanity is dealing with the stain of guilt. We all deal with this stain of guilt. And so when those that understand the rescue of, from that guilt, that that can only come through Christ, right? So we were created in the image of God with great value, but yet we're fallen. Um, irre, um, um, we are fallen. We are only redeemable by God. That's the only means, right? The Bible says Jesus is the only way. That's the only answer. It's only then that we truly can understand what it means to honor. It's only then when we understand redemption, right? The fact that we're created in the image of God, fallen, yet there is the opportunity for redemption through Jesus, that Jesus lived as that perfect human. He died in our place, right? The, the power or potential for forgiveness was in Christ because he was the perfect God-man. So that redemption could be not just put on display, um, that perfection was not just a moral example, but rather the work of Christ was effective for all. Okay, so those that are redeemed, this is what this passage is written to the church. It's written to those that are redeemed. It's calling us to, to honor, to show individuals respect. Now, um, it, this is not an us or them thing because it really goes back to creation. The, what we'll see here, although the text is talking about here, honor within the church, let's make clear that everyone, because they're made in the image of God, deserves honor, right? Um, so that the homeless person 
on the street. Now, ethically, you're going to try to deal with them in particular ways. Be careful. Sometimes helping hurts, right? The things that we do out of the sentimentality of our hearts for whether it's the man on the street or woman on the street or others, that it can be difficult. That's a complex issue. But nonetheless, they are still deserving of honor. Because why? They're created in the image of God. They're created in the image of God. So the honor is to show someone the value, their value, and proper respect. Where this comes from, what we see in the text here is that um, it resides in the heart. It's shown through our speech and through our actions. You can go back to last week, right, to, to look at that and, and hear some examples of that. Um, so to honor someone has, has to do with how we treat them, and how we, um, we treat them with respect and how we show um, respect to them um, with our speech, um, how we listen to them. And so Paul is urging Timothy, along with the entire church there at Ephesus, to do this, to show honor to one another. Um, our church is an organization of honor. It's an institution where the members treat one another with the proper respect. Um, the principle of honor is the glue that holds this together, but it's not just in this passage. It goes back to the Ten Commandments. Um, if we were to turn to Exodus chapter 20, these are the words that are, that are recorded there. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, our series is about household, and you're going to see how these households, by this very language, are, you can't pull them apart. They're made for each other. It's hand and glove, church and family together. So where do we get this principle of honor? Well, it, it goes back to creation, but we see it reiterated in the law of Moses given to the people of Israel um, in Exodus, reiterated in Deuteronomy, that it is to honor your father and your mother. Um, uh, this is the, we know that, that this is part of the first table of the law, commandments um, 1 through 4 have to do with man's relationship to God, and the second table of the law has to do with man's relationship um, to one another. Um, so how are we to relate to God? Well, the Bible says that we are to honor him, that we're to honor him. In fact, that's how the first commandment begins, that we should have no other gods before him. But we are also to honor one another. In fact, the summary of that, Jesus Christ himself says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, everything depends on this. Everything depends on this. So the, the first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. And that's the first commandment of the first table. The second commandment of the second table of the law is honor your father and your mother. So you see these two things hand in hand. Um, they go together. But why? Why does the, the law say honor your father and mother? Why doesn't it just say everyone? Just generically, let's honor everyone. Give them their due. I mean, isn't that the creation principle? Well, by highlighting this commandment, by commanding children to honor their parents, God is highlighting the importance and the priority of that parent-child relationship. Right? Children are brought into the world by the union of a man and a woman. Right? That's, that's the way it works, despite what the direction our society is going and, and all the kind of science that we think we can... Um, that we think we can create 
Um, as Jordan B. Peterson has said, I'm, I must quote him because uh, I, don't be I believe God created. I don't believe we, we evolved. But Jordan B. Peterson has said, and I've used this phrase, that evolution for millions and millions of years has preferred the children coming into the world by the union of a man and woman. I digress. It's not in my notes. <clears throat> so how will, how will children learn to honor their fellow man and woman? How will they learn that? Well, they'll, they'll learn that by showing honor to their parents. That's where children learn this principle. That's where children learn. That's, so when the law says, honor your father and your mother, it doesn't mean that this is the only human relationship where honor is shown. Not at all. But it does help us understand the priority and the importance of that relationship. The very first human authority that children encounter is parental authority. That's the first. Right? So they, they need to, to learn from that. And moreover, parents are required to teach their children to honor. Now, that's, that is in tension with do not exasperate them. But that do not exasperate your child doesn't negate your responsibility to teach the biblical principle. In other words, you can't say, well, my child's in rebellion, therefore I'm free. No. No, not at all. That's a two-year-old gone really bad, you know, or, or a 16-year-old or an 18-year-old. That's, that's not, you can't get out of it that way. Both of those go together. And we're, we're teaching them, as long as a child lives under a parent's roof, a child has an obligation because of the gospel, because, of the, because they are a follower of Jesus. And, and how you do this, go back to last week, and, and we'll give you some practical understanding of how to do this. Um, but they are to teach their children to honor. Um, this helps a, a child, as well as a church, understand how we're to honor one another. But also, we are to, and above all, we are to honor God. We're to honor God. You say, well, um, where, is, where is this teaching found? Where does the Bible say that, that parents are to teach their children and, and, and children are to honor their, their parents? Um, well, we can go to Matthew 22 again, where it says, you shall love your neighbors as yourself. Right? So here we see Jesus teaching this and mentioning this in a generic way because it has because the understanding is it's been taught in a specific way. It's been taught in a specific way. To love is to honor and to honor is to love. That's why Matthew 7 says so whatever you wish that others would do to you do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You know, we find this in, in Christ's example, right? So he didn't just say this, right? He, he actually, he said it and he did this. In John chapter 13, it says, do you understand what I have done to you? 
You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Okay, why, why am I belaboring this point? Why am I spending a lot of time on just simply honor? Because the whole Bible teaches it. The whole Bible teaches it. What Paul does in this particular section from 5.1 to 6.2, he's urging that honor be shown in various groups within the church in a way that is fitting. And the church is a place where God is to be honored above all and where men and women and boys and girls are treated with honor. It's here in the text. It's throughout the whole Bible. So we ought to be about it. We need to understand it. And we need to follow it. We need to follow it. Second, I, I think that we need to hear it. You know, we, we need to hear it. Um, our children, children, you need to hear this from God's word. Um, you're in this room together by design so that you hear the teaching of the word of God um, in this particular place because God's commanded that together we preach and teach the word of God. And you need to hear that um, God desires for you to honor your parents, that you have a responsibility in that. You need to hear that. Uh, but parents, you also need to hear that you have a responsibility um, to teach honor from God's word, from God's word. I, I think we need to hear it because of the consideration of just the public discourse that exists, that seeps into our households. Um, much discourse that is not honorable at all. It is coarse, inconsiderate, impolite. It gives the cold shoulder. I think that we have forgotten how to listen and how to communicate with one another. And it shows up in various places. And we're noticing that, um, the, that the, the digital world um, in which many people prefer to live, I mean, and I could talk about that, um, how that is very different from the analog world. But the digital place that people prefer to live because it gives this sense of autonomy and I can do whatever I want and say whatever I want. It gives this, this, it's not reality, it's an unreality. It perpetuates this coarseness and lack of honor. And what we're seeing, not just in our society and in our culture, is we're seeing that turn into and move into the, the analog, the, the real world, the culture of our day and into our homes and, and it affects our church life. Um, and it is not just an affront to one another. What I want you to understand and see is that it is an affront to God, and it is an affront to his gospel. Right? So honor is so very important. You know, um, pastoring and parenting is a great 
blessing. It's a rewarding work. It's an important work. But it is also a hard work. And it requires that we pay attention to the verses that preceded this and the lessons that we learned last week so that we understand how we ought to do this in our home and in the church. That is so very important. That as pastors, as pastors in the home, that we are teaching one another how to do this, that we are modeling it, that we are showing it, and that, that young people that are, that are here, that you are obeying it, that, that you are showing honor so that we together might show honor to one another that we might lift one another up, that we might be that federation of honor in Jesus Christ. I was encouraged um, yesterday by your attendance at the memorial service. You know, um, grieving and attending visitations or memorial service um, in our day are not in vogue, to be frank. But that is such a sweet and important way to show honor, to show honor to one another, not just to the one that's passed, but to each other and to the family because we are a household, two households that cannot be separated. Second, we have to observe here in the text that we are to honor widows. So now that we know something about honor, he says, honor widows. Now, we don't come into this passage cold, about honoring widows. Um, so let's set the stage. The Bible has a great deal to say about the biblical responsibility with widows. So let's begin there. Um, God is the defender of widows. And we see this. I'm just going to list a bunch of passages. You can look them up um, or do your own search. But it's Psalm 68, Deuteronomy 10, Psalm 146, Proverbs 15, 25, and there's a whole lot more. Over and over again, God says that he is the defender um, of widows. When ungodly men take advantage of widows, God gets angry with them. And check out what happens in Exodus 22, right? So, um, God is not just saying I'm the defender as uh, um, he doesn't have white knight syndrome, right? He's actually doing something about it. He is the defender. Magistrates, so this, the, when it comes to um, civil government, magistrates who abuse widows in their vulnerability will be judged by the Lord. And this is addressed in Deuteronomy chapter 24 and Deuteronomy 27. Now, now take this into consideration. Um, we have several farmers but I, I would say that this applies to business. Um, and, and so you own a business and you're a Christian. Think about how you work this out. Farmers were required by the law to make allowances for widows by leave, leaving gleanings for them. Deuteronomy 14 and Deuteronomy um, chapter um, 14 and 19 and 26. And we see this um, it, all through the, the New Testament, not just in command, but in example. Like, how is it that you care for um, those that are in need? It was a regular complaint of the prophets that, that, the, that the nation, God's people, abused widows instead of protecting them as they ought. We see this, Isaiah mentions this multiple times in Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Zechariah and Malachi. Even the psalmist addresses this in the Psalms. In the New Testament, James instructs us that pure and undefiled religion is always to be measured in terms of behavior towards widows and orphans, and I would include the unborn 
in that, James 1.27. In short, getting this right as a Christian is not a trivial matter, right? So we, we can see this honor throughout the scriptures, right? It's all there, right? Beginning to end. Um, ultimately, the Bible ends with every knee shall bow and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. Honor. Right? Beginning to end. And here we see that one of the issues in honoring is honoring widows. Honoring widows. Um, Timothy was not to do this alone. He is to instruct, but he was to see that all the church honors widows. And that is uh, providing for these particular um, widows' physical needs. Providing for their physical needs. Um, if we think back to Acts 6, deacons in the church had a particular responsibility to care for the needs of widows. But when we think through um, that passage, what we see is that deacons actually oversee the ministry to widows. Um, but members in the congregations are the agents who do, in fact, meet those particular needs. So it is the church made up of pastors and deacons and members that are called to honor widows. But Paul only mentions uh, the, the widows here. I mentioned James 1.27, said that religion is, uh, that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So following God faithfully in the world involves visiting and caring for people who are afflicted. James says later, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says they have faith, but, but they do not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also... Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. This is a sober, somber warning to us. Galatians uh, 6.10 so says, So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those that are of the household of faith. Okay, so... We are to take care of widows, but let's note this. There are some basic considerations here that we have to understand from this passage. And I know our time is, is moving, so um, let me just go through these. First, what we see is that this class of widows is defined by their service. So I've said a lot about need, which is important because it's there in the text, but if we miss this, we're going to misconstrue how we ought to go about um, actually executing what the text says. The, the class of widow is defined by her service, not primarily by her need. What she received was, look at verse 3, honor. What she received is honor. Enrollment is based on her character not her need. Look at verses 9 and 10 in the text. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have set our hope on the living God 
who is the savior of all, and I'm in the wrong chapter. I was like, it's going through my mind. Why is this not making any sense to me? Go down to chapter five. Okay, look at verse nine and 10 in chapter five. Here we go. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has, been, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. So enrollment is based on her character, not her need. The age requirement meant, meant that the need was not the criteria because need doesn't wait until age 60, according to verse 9. See, that age is mentioned in verse 9. Simply, um, simply getting off the deacon's list here in the passage through marriage is not disloyalty to Christ. Look at verse 11 of chapter 5. But refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passion draws them away from Christ, they desire to marry, verse 12, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith, verse 13. Besides that, um, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. We'll we'll stop there. Uh, so, So the widow in this particular passage, right, all that are all that our widows receive honor, but physical need, according to this particular passage, um, is is something that is different. So the adopted, the adopted widows, in other words, those widows whose welfare was met by the church, had to measure up to these particular standards that we see here. It wasn't any widow that received the welfare of the church. That is an important distinction. Um, these widows that received the welfare of the church were expected to have a proven lifestyle, um, that, they would show, that they had shown that they've been a blessing to the church, and they have, according to this passage, a new vocational calling. This vocational calling was made permanent and sealed with a religious vow. Now, the church has two offices, But here in this passage, what we see in the church is an order, and it is the order of widows. Um, Back in the book of Acts, there is a widow that is mentioned in the book of Acts. Her name is Phoebe, and it calls her a servant in the church. She was a widow who was in the order of the church. She was an older woman who met this criteria, who had taken a vow for the rest of her life to serve the church. Because of that, it was the congregation that met her regular daily needs. And so there's two offices in the church. That is of elder or pastor, and that is of deacon. Um, An an office is different. The church has to have the offices of church, of of pastor and deacon, and saved church membership to begin to 
actually be a church. It is an option to have an order of widows. You do that only as the church has need. But here we see um, that the entire church to this group of people were to show honor and to certain ones honor and provision for their daily needs. That's an important distinction to see in the text. The church is to show honor. The church is to meet those um, needs of the afflicted. But there is another part to this. There's another part to this. And we have to consider this all together. So we consider honor from beginning to end um, of the, the Old and New Testament. Um, we see that widows are important, Old and New Testament, and particular direction in this text. But also, um, we see in this passage some very helpful boundaries, very helpful boundaries, and that is we are to honor family welfare. Uh, so I am going to, to, to really wrap this up because I think a lot of this will be uh, talked about in that series on God and government. Here we see in 1 Timothy that the phrase here is to honor widows who are truly widows. Okay, so there's, um, with that, it doesn't, doesn't mean that, you know, you, um, that uh, you take this and you, you know, do, do you have your widow or widower card or something insensitive like that? Like, it's not saying, like, are you or are you not a widow on the surface, right? It's, what it's getting at is something deeper. There's a qualification, right? So the honor is general, but the care is saying, who are you putting on the role of widow? Who is becoming part of that order of widows? Give them special honor who truly meet those qualifications. That is the, that's where this text is going. Honor is, is that the beginning of it. Welfare becomes the end and the direct application. So we're to honor all, but that welfare part is, is the direct application, and those who truly meet those qualifications, the church is to care for. Right? So, but is it the church? Is the question that we have at this point is, is it the church's responsibility to therefore care for each and every widow? What is the church's responsibility? And what we have is we have in those um, uh, circles of government, we have an overlap, and we see this directly in the text. And so we have to ask the question is, the question here in the text is, who is responsible for welfare? Welfare. Who's responsible? Is it the government? Is it civil government? Right? That is how our particular nation, our particular culture has answered that question. Um, and the answer to that is no. Um, and I think we all know, those of you who are in arms and younger, um, any financial advisor would say, if you cannot pay into Social Security and do something else with your money, you would be wise because it is a broken system. You can't have more going out than you have coming in. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Why? Because it's the wrong institution. It's the wrong place. Right? So is it the church? 
The answer to that in this text is maybe. Um, But where we're going to be going in April, and I think we see this, and I need to wrap this up, is the primary place and the the primary place of responsibility for the welfare of the individual is within the family. It's within the family. And so we need to think about that. So again, this is an implication in the text. I don't want to drive this point too hard because we'd have to then go from here to other places. We definitely would go to James, right? We've already mentioned that passage that says one who doesn't provide for their family is is worse than a pagan, right? That's a pretty, in the Christian text, that's a pretty derogatory accusation. It's worse than that, right? So the implication is we're to take care of our family. That includes our family's future, right? So there's, there's some massive implications as we look at this, that we care for the, our family's future, um, which means we, we think about, as Christians, we must think about generating generational wealth, right? That's an important, that is important to the text. But we are not taught that. We're certainly not taught that by our culture. We're taught when I get a paycheck, I spend it on me, right? So, and it's part of being a part of a individualistic culture, right? So there, there's, um, this gets all wrapped up in economics and all those kind of, I won't go into those, but collectivistic cultures have a better go at this. Um, and here we're seeing a reflection on this. So it's not that one culture is better than the other. Both are to follow God's word because God is the creator. He's the maker. He's the redeemer. He's instructed us through revelation. This is how life works, right? And so we are called not to just provide for our needs, um, but that we are called uh, to set money aside as best we can, right? Now, we know that all time and place is not possible, but as best we can for future generations, right? That's, that's what we are, are called to do, and that's how we need to really think uh, economically about the household. So those implications are here in this passage. The only way that the church can actually do what it's called to do in having an order of widows is that, and the assumption is, that there is margin, that there is margin, that that is part of the economic structure of the family. But, you know, we have a a save as much, retire early, or live life to the full by spending not what you have, but more than you have. Those are the extremes in our culture right? And, and we ought not to live by extremes, right? We ought not to live. You know, you know the, the people that are, are living nearly on the street in the tiny house with nothing, and they're, you know, 24 years old because they want to retire at 40, right? We have those in our culture. They're saving so that they can, you know, that they can do whatever they want to do. That's individualistic. That's, that's, that's thinking about themselves first, but then we have, you know, people of all generations that are, you know, spending money and, and energy and time and simply on their own pleasure, right? God has called 
the family, the household, to honor. We honor God in this passage in particular by caring for one another. Where does that begin? It begins in the home, creating margin, not just today, but creating margin in the future for not just our children, but for our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. Those are the implications of this text. And by that, we will be able to take care of one another. And so as there are needs in the church, we need to make sure that we're following the instructions of Scripture and that we're putting the onus, the responsibility on the right structure in the order that God calls us to. And in all things, we are to honor we are to honor. And we can do that. How can we do that? Because we are a people of grace. We know grace. We know that we, we don't get what we deserve. And what we deserve is hell. But God's given us grace through Jesus Christ. So we do not live this life for ourselves. Right? All pleasure comes from the right hand of God the Father. The Bible actually instructs us how to enjoy life and how to live life. And we understand the grace that God has given to us. You, we can only live in this way as we see these, the, the discipline of godliness when we understand God's grace. We've received forgiveness and that becomes this core value, this central value. Grace becomes that motivating drivenness within our heart. That's why we have these moments to reflect, um, to reflect on this. There's, there's several different parts that you can reflect on this morning. I, I want to encourage you um, as the worship team comes and sings to reflect on honor. How are you honoring to reflect on how are you using the resources that you have, not just your money, your time, your talent, as well as the financial resources that God has given you to honor, to honor your family and the family of God. And then finally, you know, is this coming from a heart of love, the principle of grace? Understanding the person, Jesus, that makes all of this possible. Let's pray. God, we come to this place in the service and in our lives. And it is humbling. Because we see in your word, not my words, I I can't put this together like you can. We see in your word the beauty of your wisdom. Lord, help us. Help us to live in the way described in this passage. Lord, help us as, as, as Christians to understand how to use what you have given to us. So oftentimes, wealth gets a, a bad rap. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's a good thing. But it's a thing meant for your honor and your glory and not for us. 
So open our hearts and open our hands. Stewardship just simply means that something flows into our hands so that we direct it elsewhere. We do this every day. Our lives will come and go, and our lives will determine where we steward what you have for us. May the answer be for your glory. We pray this in your name.